0: Father, we have our work cut out for us here now in in the last few minutes to pack into this the important material that we have. And so help me. Give me your guidance for what to leave in, what to put in, and what to leave out, I pray. And give us energy for this session. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's the key text now on the controversial issue of whether men or women should be elders in a church or should be the ruling board in the church. And in Bethlehem, it's, it's men who are elders, and that's a constitutional mandate. <coughs> and I was part of the group that in 1990, when the Constitution was rewritten, uh, pressed for that being in a Constitution. And I'm glad it's there. It would take two-thirds of our folks up in arms to change that, and, and I hope that that never happens. I think it's a healthy thing for a church to love their women, free their women, liberate their women, affirm their women, put their women in all kinds of hundreds of ministries of life-transforming kind and do it from a standpoint of men assuming the primary responsibility for leadership and teaching in the church. First of all, then, I urge that in trees and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all the men... For kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Now, the reason I included verses 1 and 2, when the context is really verses 8 following, is to catch that word quiet. Because the women are going to be told to be quiet down below. And I want you to see the use of the word quiet here. You See how it's used? so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. That clearly, in that verse, does not mean don't say anything. It means have a demeanor of not being rowdy in culture. Something like that. So watch now what happens. Verse 8, Therefore I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands, without... uh, I want the men to in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Likewise, I want the women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly, discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but with the but, but rather by means of good works as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. So again, the same point is first Peter emphasis on the inner and moral dimension of life, not the external dimension. A woman must, now there's that word, quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do I, I do not allow a woman to teach or have authority over men. So there's the key phrase that's controversial and, and makes egalitarians get nervous. Um, I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over men, but to remain quiet. And I put the Greek there just so you could see the... The similarity. It's the same basic word. To remain quiet. So I'm assuming this doesn't mean a woman can't talk. I think it's referring to a kind of quietness that accords with submissiveness or accords with valuing the leadership. She's not going to be rowdy, pushy, domineering. She's not going to stand up at business meetings and make a a, a real pain of herself verbally. Though I'm not going to say she can't talk at a business meeting. 13. For it was Adam who was created first, and then Eve. So that's his first argument. We've been there. We dealt with that in the original context of Genesis of what those pointers were. Paul is just picking one of the nine pointers to the fact that male leadership was implied before the fall namely the priority of creation here. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. So I gave you my explanation of what I thought that meant. Many have thought it means women are gullible, so don't make them elders. They can't hold fast to true doctrine. Um, are women more gullible than men? You know how I answer questions like that? I have in my mind um, two columns, um, a weakness column and a strength column for men and women. This is male, this is female, and you put weaknesses and strengths. And I'm inclined to say women are more gullible than men on some things, and men are more gullible than women on some things. And anything you would come to me with, that's the way I would respond. See, so are they more intelligent? Well, I'd say uh, probably there's a kind of intelligence that men generally have the edge on, like chess. 99% of the best chess players in the world for, for all the centuries that we've done chess have been men. That's not because women don't play chess in Russia. They do. They just never quite make it to the top. No, usually don't make it to the top. There's something about the way our brains are wired. But you could take a whole other kind of intelligence... An EQ instead of IQ kind of thing. Women just to be off the charts, and men are going to be blokes. Um, I got to read you something just to underline what I'm saying here, lest I've, you don't you don't feel the force of this. Uh, statistics I just read say that six times more men than women are arrested for drug abuse. Ten times more men than women are arrested for drunkenness. Eighty-three percent of the serious crimes in America are committed by men. Twenty-five times more men than women are in jail. Virtually all rape is committed by men. So who's superior? <laughs> I mean, this is this is bad news for men. We're bad. Sounds like a video I saw. <laughs> so, you believe in equality, Piper. E- equally in the image of God. Do You believe in equality. You just said on some things women are more inferior and some things men are more inferior. So how do you think about this? And here's my little paradigm. See if this helps. It helps me. Male, female, column, weaknesses and strengths. All different kinds of weaknesses and strengths. My take is that if you put a plus and a minus by all these things, hundreds of them, and then at the bottom you sum them up, it's going to be the same sum at the bottom of both columns. But how different? How different? So it's not an easy question when you say, Do you think women are inferior or men are inferior? Well, the answer is, On what point? Singing soprano. <laughs> running the 100-yard dash. We don't have men competing with women in the Olympics. Why? <laughs> Isn't that chauvinistic? The NBA has no women. And I hope it never does. Because the way they play, they play like gorillas now. I mean, basketball was once a dignified sport. Where you weren't supposed to touch each other. If you touch each other, there's a foul. And now, I don't know what a foul is. No, blood, maybe. Blood. Ambulance siren. Um, so, my point there is um, when it says, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Even if that means that there is a kind of vulnerability of a woman that a man may not have doctrinally, that is not an argument that the man and the woman are unequal on the totality of intellect and the totality of emotion and so on. I argued in, in the previous sessions that's not what this means. I think this is an attack by the devil on the order that God set up and that Adam and Eve were both listening to the devil and he was failing by not intervening and she was failing by taking the word and they were crashing and burning together, not because she's more gullible, but because Satan went after her as the one he shouldn't have gone after, should have gone after the man because the man is the leader. That was my whole way of, of understanding that. But even if the traditional interpretation of more vulnerable to doctrinal deceit is true, I would say men are more vulnerable to deceit on a lot of counts. I I think I could statistically prove that men fall for some things in this world more quickly than women do. Might relate to sex kinds of things or or whatever. So, whatever the meaning is, it feeds Paul's understanding that men, not women, should be the the elders of the church. Church, I'm going to leave verse 15 out. If I try to explain to you verse 15, I have a whole section here on verse 15 about this, but uh, maybe I'll write a star article on it or something, because. but if I do that, we won't finish. What I want to stress is this. You've got a couple of key words here. I've, I've dealt with the word quiet and what I think that gets at. Teach and exercise authority are the key terms here. I don't allow one to teach or exercise exercise authority over men. Now, clearly in the Bible, women teach. Uh, Lois and Eunice taught Timothy. Older women are commanded to teach younger women. They're not considered unsuited to do that because they're doctrinally foolish or anything. Paul wouldn't put the, all the young women of the church in the charge of the older women to teach them if he thought older women can only deceive them. That's not the point at all. The point is men... Not incompetency to teach. The point is the dynamic of men and women and how they relate to each other, not competencies. And so teaching is not ruled out for women in general. There is a kind of teaching ruled out for how it's done to men. Now, what kind is that? And I would just take this next phrase as defining that. Teaching or exercising authority. In other words, the teaching that has authority behind it, that that in the church carries the weight of authority, should be what men do. So that's my general take on the the meaning of that text and how it uh, supports eldership. Let me say one other thing about it. These two words... Teach and exercise authority are when you read the lists of qualifications for elder and the list of qualifications for deacon. There are two main distinctions between what an elder is called to do and what a deacon is called to do, and it's these two things elders must be apt to teach, deacons are not called upon to be apt to teach, elders must. Uh, Rule well. See, I have that text on the overhead. Uh, I don't, but it's, it's 1 Timothy five seventeen. Let those who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Uh, that's referring to the elders. So when it says, I don't allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over man, over a man, I think it's the easiest way to say that is the elders of the church should be men. Because those two things are the very things that define an elder over against a deacon, which is why I have no problem with women deacons. Sometimes we call them deaconess, and that seems to take away the problem. But it's, it's, uh, it's the same word, basically, in Greek, deacon, deaconess. Uh, you can't even tell the difference in the third declension noun. So... My conclusion from this text is that God loves the church and he loves women and he loves men. And churches flourish better where there is a group of of Christ-like, humble, loving, women-honoring, spiritual men who who lead the church. And women love to have it so if... The men are honoring them, uh, lifting them up, blessing them, encouraging them into ministry. Here's a little side bar. Um, sometimes a woman will say, well, if we can't be an elder, what, what, are, what, what is ministry supposed to be? And my sense is being an elder is quite a burden, and as often draws you away from ministry as plummets you into it. Ministry is being in persons' lives in such a way that they change into Christlikeness. And women are as good at that as men are and are called into it in hundreds of ways. Being in people's lives with word and prayer and care in such a way that people are one to Christ and people are matured in Christ. And women will navigate that largely in relation to women and children, admittedly, not only a woman can bear witness to a man at work about Christ. She'll do it in a certain way. So the, 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 the doors of, of world-shaping and life-transforming ministry are what the elders should release everybody to do, including women. So to, to be told not an elder doesn't mean not a minister not a transforming person. Not a significant life. Um, let me sum it up with these. The, the ministry. I put, I put these. How many? I've got six. I'll just read them quickly. Thoughts on women women in ministry. According to the Bible. All Christians, men and women, are ministers. Not one is off duty. All of life should have a radical orientation around the work of the kingdom. Men and women. Two, ministry is the stewarding of grace through gifts for the demonstration of love and the upbuilding of faith and the ingathering of God's elect. First Peter 4.10 is a crucial text in this regard, as each one, male and female, has received a gift. Use it as stewards of the manifold grace of God. So God has graced women and men And now steward that grace, bend it out to others in life-transforming ways. Number three, all spiritual gifts, not all offices or roles, are given to women. Get that? All spiritual gifts, look at the lists in the New Testament. I mean, all of them are given to women and are used for the good of the church The reaching of the lost and the glory of God. Being woman and being man may shape the way you use your gift. But there is no gift listed in the New Testament that I know of that is not given to women and men. It's just a matter of where and how you use them. Four the office of elder overseer pastor is the responsibility of spiritual men who aim to equip the saints for the ministry for the teaching and overs- through teaching and oversight 1st Timothy 2:12 which we just looked at says that this teaching and authority is the unique responsibility of men not women 5 the difference between elder and deacon is the role of teaching and governing so the easiest way to apply First Timothy 2.12 is to say that the elders of the local church should be men. The elders should be men. And then finally, six, the real action, the real ministry in a healthy church. I mean, there are churches who so elevate clergy <clears throat> or elders that they don't even conceive of everybody else as a minister. It's just all clerical. Like all the important stuff is just done by the clergy and the people they just kind of show up and listen and go home that's not our mindset it's not a healthy church mindset we exist to equip the saints men and women to do the work of the ministry the whole mindset of the church should not be these pastors do the work of the ministry we listen the whole mindset should be these pastors equip us to do the work of the ministry and male and female are ministers 24-7 Home, work, church, neighborhood, think in ministry. A woman should get up in the morning and think ministry. Men should get up in the morning and think ministry. We shouldn't waste our times on television and all that junk. We should think investing and not wasting our lives as male and female, influencing and transforming people according to your gifts. Real ministry, a healthy church, is what's happening by the power of the Spirit through the gifts of the Spirit in small groups and in formal times of ministry to one another with words of knowledge and wisdom and gifts of faith and healings and miracles and prophecy and discernment and mercy and teaching and exhortation and prayer and so on. So I could tell you story after story of women who have read some of these things have talked to me, and lights go on why their churches feel so dysfunctional to them. Because the men have backed away, and women have filled the void. They felt like they had to, and now the women are on all the committees. The women are on the ruling board. There might even be a woman pastor, and the men are just gradually going away. Because we're just not wired to be led that way, and that forcefully by women. And women, deep down, they don't want it that way. They want to minister. They want dignity. They want honor. They want freedom. But they don't want those, those leading roles. They want to be those people, those men, free us, support us, protect us, pray for us, equip us, and release us. We want to minister. But I think the deep-down heart of a woman feels that way about a healthy church. So let me uh, move towards the end here with our last few minutes by making sure I strike this note. The reason that looks different up there is because I'm using paper instead of a transparency. The effect of the New Testament is to elevate the dignity of women over against a culture that diminished it, and it has been doing that. The New Testament has been doing that elevating ever since everywhere the church has spread. I just want to highlight a few texts. First, Jesus honored women in most remarkable ways that sometimes got him into trouble in his own ministry. You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? And ought not, they've just complained that he's about to heal. Ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? Now, the reason that stands out to me is because he calls her a daughter of Abraham. He could have just said, You hypocrites, you don't think I should heal this woman? You you lift your oxen out of ditches on Sunday, Saturday, Sabbath day. And you don't want me to just touch this woman who's who's been bent over like this for eighteen years? But he adds, and ought not this woman. Abraham? I just, I think when Jesus says that, he's looking at these sons of Abraham and he's saying, You have any sense of who you're dealing with, is this woman? <laughs> the dignity that, that this woman has, and you're just treating her less than your oxen? That's the effect that Jesus has when he comes into a culture. And uh, I won't read all these. Um, Women followed him around and ministered to him, and he let them uh, provide for him. He leaned on these, must have been fairly wealthy women who were accompanying him everywhere he went to support him. Uh, Mary. In Luke ten thirty eight, sitting at Jesus' feet, Mary has chosen the good portion which will not... So here's Martha serving Jesus, right? Scurry, 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 get the meal ready. And here's Mary, just like a disciple, like a, a, a rabbinic student, sitting at his feet absorbing truth. And Martha's bent out of shape that she's not assuming the traditional role of help get this thing ready. And And Jesus says, no, 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 Martha. The way I I relate in the world is this woman has chosen an absolutely essential thing. She's a listener. She's a learner from me. Amazing in that context. And uh, Matthew 28, he sends the women to tell uh, about his resurrection. So he's entrusted the resurrection message with them. He's risen. Peter. Confirmed that women could prophesy with men here uh, in the last days it shall be God declares I will pour out my spirit on flesh your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams so we have to make room for that what does that mean and we haven't spent any time on that there is a way for a woman to prophetically speak the word of God into a situation without compromising her role in relation to men Paul works side by side with these women. Look at this. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. Now, I wouldn't jump to the collusion there. They're authoritative preachers. You don't have to go there. But that's significant. That's not nothing. These women laboring side by side. I would say that about my wife. I'd say that about women in this church who are laboring side by side with me and the elders in the gospel, doing what we can't do and doing it better probably in so many ways. Peter extolled women. As, this, this one I really love. Let me read it carefully. Likewise, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Don't get don't get bent out of shape about that. The Olympics, we don't have men competing with me, with women, and NBA, and this doesn't have to be an ugly thing. This just can maybe be a simple, realistic thing that, by and large, men are are stronger. Just don't don't take that in a worst way. Take it in the best way, since they are. This is the amazing part. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. That is saying to us husbands spend time contemplating who you are married to, contemplate that she is a fellow heir. Heir of God, Romans 8. 16, 17. Of eternal life, inheritor of the world, blessed are the poor, for they shall inherit the world. The meek shall inherit the earth. Your wife is going to be a fellow heir of the universe with you. Don't treat her badly. She's your queen, And lastly, Paul taught that neither manhood nor womanhood is a hindrance to the fullness of Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female. Now it really makes me mad when people use that to say there's no role distinction. Because if that works, so does homosexuality. And believe it or not, I I used to say that 30 years ago, and people would be furious with me. I would say that to egalitarians. If you use this as an argument, there is no male or female means there can't be a woman um, there can't be any distinction with male pa- male pastors and women who are not allowed to be pastors. Then you're showing there is male or female. So if you think that's what this means is, then if a woman says, I'm going to marry this woman, and a man says, I'm going to marry this man, this text would support that. Because there's neither male nor female. So you can marry whoever you want. Sex doesn't count in the church. And there are people today, a professor of mine in seminary is now one of the strongest leaders of the big gay church in Houston who would argue just that way. What this does mean is we are equally baptized into Christ. Our maleness and femaleness doesn't mean one of us is more baptized. We are equally putting on Christ. Not male get to put on Christ more than women. Um, We are equally in Christ Jesus. Males aren't more in Christ than females. We equally belong to Christ. We are equally Abraham's offspring. We are equally heirs, according to the promise. There's a lot in this text to fill that neither male nor female with meaning without taking it over to Ephesians 5 and canceling out the other parts of Scripture. So women, I want to leave you with the note that when you were made, a woman, you were made in God's image equally with man, and are called to a significance in life as great and an influence in this world perhaps greater. Mothers and fathers, who has the greater influence in what these little ones become? Mothers on their knees in prayer for a nation or for a church, who has the greater influence on what happens in the world? I would not presume to say, it's not obvious to me that the men who are the big heavy honcho hitters who run governments and military, that they have the main influence in the world. It doesn't follow. When you've got mothers shaping men and women and you've got mothers on their knees changing the world by prayer, I don't know. So, closing why I stand by this distinction in role between men and women. Five concluding summary reasons. One, because the sense seems plain to me and not terribly complicated in First Timothy 2, 12 to 13. Two, because this fits with the overall picture of complementarity in Genesis <coughs> and Jesus' ministry since he chose 12 men and Paul's and Peter's teaching on marriage three I have never seen any texts that contradict this meaning of complementarity what other texts do like the one we just looked at Galatians 3.28 and Acts 2 where women are prophesying is refine our applications and protect us from abuses four the aim of the New Testament is to redeem sin-distorted relationships between men and women, but it redeems them by removing the distortions of headship and submission, not by leveling distinctions in role. And finally, um, since I see this distinction in the Bible, I believe it is good for women and men and for our society as a whole, and for the glory of God. Let me end there. Let me say that again. If you believe like I do, that the Bible is inspired by God, then this book, vastly, 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 infinitely, more important than my books, is God's design. And if you believe secondly... As I do, that God loves us infinitely. He's on our side in Christ. Then his design is really good for us. Conclusion What the Bible teaches about complementarity is the source of great joy and great flourishing for male and female in the home, in the church, yes, and even in the ambiguities of the world. Let's pray. Father, we've rushed through many important things, and there is much more left to study and think and apply And so I pray for these brothers and sisters that they will pursue these things in appropriate ways to take them further down into the mysteries of manhood and womanhood and further out into the applications of their lives and that Christ, who designed these things to represent him in the church especially, would be honored in our lives. We want to spread a passion for the supremacy of yourself in all things, for the joy of male and female among all the peoples through Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.